Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The sound of endurance racing around the world. This is RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited Network. G'day everyone and welcome to On The Grid, your weekly fix of motorsport with a down-under perspective. Each week we'll talk to the leading lights of Aussie motorsport, unpick the key issues, discuss the trending topics and have some fun along the way. From supercars to the Bathurst 12 hour and everything in between, and I mean everything, this is On The Grid. Now, here's the show's host with the most, Tony Shebecki. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or on the Radio Show Limited's RS1. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you with us this week. Chas Mostert, big week for him. Resigns a new contract with Wilkinshaw and Ready United and joins us here on The Grid for a chat about that contract signing. We'll also speak to Richard Crowell and Mark Walker. Plenty of other things happening in the world of motorsport and we'll talk about those right here. First of all though, the news and we'll kick it off with supercar news. The category says it hopes to kick off testing for the Gen 3 cars in August of this year. That's in line with its hopes of a prototype debut sometime this year, as outlined back in February. Now, Supercar said it would invite all teams to the testing process, including ones not involved in homologation testing, saying they would be as inclusive as possible. There'll be no ban on using current drivers for testing either. And while a wider testing process has not been earmarked yet, it seems likely it'll be underway at the end of the year or maybe early next. Head of Motorsport at Supercars, Adrian Burgess, said they'd endeavour not to give any one team an advantage during the testing phase so that it would be foolish to test the cars without input from current drivers. Formula One News Now and Nikita Mezepin has spoken about rumours surrounding whether he would need to leave Formula One for a time while he completed military service mandatory in his homeland of Russia. The 22-year-old said that while he was aware there was discussion surrounding the topic, he clarified that he had been completing classes for two years and had one year left in his service before he became a reserve officer, meaning he had no plans to leave the category to undertake service. Mezepin's father had previously raised the concern that he may be forced to attend a training camp in person, which could disrupt his Formula One career. Meanwhile, the organisers of the French Grand Prix said they hope to have 15,000 fans allowed in the event this year, the highest number of attendees at a Grand Prix so far for 2021. With COVID restrictions easing around Europe as vaccination rates climb and more and more large events are held successfully with contingency plans in place, such as last month's Eurovision, the move would see spectators grouped into three areas of 5,000 people around the track. Now, attendees would be made to present a negative COVID test, a vaccination certificate or a recovery certificate. More Grand Prix are expecting large crowds with British Grand Prix organisers hoping for large crowds to be allowed despite a resurgence of COVID cases there. Speaking to Dutch outlet Formula One director of the Dutch Grand Prix has also said hopes for full fan attendance at that event could be raised in September. 
To MotoGP news now, and the category has announced its two races at the Red Bull Ring in Austria would be open fully to fans and spectators. The races scheduled to take place in early and mid-August would conform to the same standards as the French Formula One Grand Prix, with attendees needing to present proof of vaccination, recovery or a negative test before attending. Now, the track was originally scheduled to hold only one MotoGP event this year before the Finnish GP was cancelled for the third year straight. Organisers moved the GP on that weekend to a doubleheader in Austria. The races will be the first to have full attendance policy since the beginning of the pandemic in 2020. And finally today, some fantastic news. Multiple Australian motorsport names have been listed in this year's Queen's Birthday Honours. Among them, Larry Perkins, Tony Cochran and Andrew Papadopoulos. Current Motorsport Australian President Andrew Fraser said in his statement he was very pleased to see Papadopoulos and fellow recipient Dr Michael Henderson on the awards list and that they had been crucial in helping motorsport in the nation. The awards is the second highest given to civilian members of the public all have been listed as providing great service to Australian motorsport and the industry at large. We'll talk more about that with Richard Crail and Mark Walker a little bit later on, but let's get straight into the show. All right, joining us on the line now is a man that's going to call Wilkinshaw and Ritter United home for a few more years yet after inking a deal with the Melbourne-based team. His name is Chaz Mostert and he joins us now. Congratulations, Chaz. Hey, mate. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's uh, very exciting and, um, yeah, great to get it out there. More relief than anything? To have to have a deal for the future? Oh, for sure. Any race car driver um, always feels relief when, when they, you know, get a contract extension and, um, yeah, it means you're doing the right job. And obviously, yeah, you've got some security for some years to come. So, um, yeah, still got plenty to achieve in supercars as, as I'd like to try and keep trying to chase the championship. But, um, and yeah, obviously super happy to to where I am at the moment with Walkinshaw and Dreddy United and, yeah, believe that it's a team to, to go after it. So, yeah, excited for the future. The team's excited for the future as well and the development over the last couple of years. You personally, yourself, being a part of that development has been exciting and to get to where you got to, especially with that win that you had at Simmons Plains just a month or two ago. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, people easily forget. And I had, had a couple of mates actually say to me, he goes, oh, haven't you been at Walkinshaw like three years now? And you're like, <laughs> oh, no, this is our, only our second year together. So, um, as races on the, on, the, on the books, we actually – haven't got a lot, a whole lot under our belt. And then obviously last year with the COVID tour, uh, as everyone calls it the COVID tour, it was a pretty hard time to, to develop a car too. So basically the first time to have a real crack at trying to turn the car around and make it um, quicker and faster was um, coming into this year. And I believe we've done that. We just got to try and uh, dot the I's and cross all the T's and, um, and, and get the most out of the, pack, the new package that we've got. You can look at that COVID tour in a lot of different ways. You can look at it in a very positive way. Your first year with the team, the fact that you guys got to spend so much time together in that period of time, what was it, nearly three or four months, basically living in each other's pocket, can be a negative. But I reckon you guys might have taken it out as a positive and really looked to build a strong bond for the future. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's, like I said, there's another big reason of me signing on is that the, ta- the, the team feels like a family um, an extended family for me, you know, I've been very lucky that I've had some awesome mechanics and en- and worked with awesome engineers in different categories, but the team here at Walkinshaw is something pretty special, you know, all the, all the guys and girls there, they give 100% all the time, um, even on the bad days, they're looking to, to improve and it's a very positive place to be and uh, yeah, love my, love my whole time so far there, like you said, last year, 
to build a fast race car and, and move forward was very tricky in the COVID tour. And, and that was probably a negative, but the positive was we got to spend a lot of time together, build those relationships. And um, yeah, really feel like I have been at the team three years through the relationships that I have. But, um, but yeah, like I said, it's still very early days for us to try and achieve what we want to achieve. Exactly right. Did you feel a weight on your shoulder when you first stood in the doors? Uh, a team previously known as Holden Racing Team, so much prestige, so much history, and so many good drivers coming out of that team. Was there that expectation, that feeling of expectation that not only placed on you, but you may have placed on yourself? Um, not really, to be honest. I think at the end of the day, like I always live by, you can only try your best, and as simple as that. If it's, if it's not good enough, then it, I guess it's not good enough, but... um. Yeah, at the end of the day, I, you know, I felt pretty lucky that I was able to come into the door with Adam Debore and someone I've worked with my whole career. So from an engineering and driving perspective, there was not really a relationship to learn there. So that, that, was, that was handy coming into a new organization. And um, yeah, for me, I think I, I could believe in, in, you know, in the team and, and the stuff that they want to do. And I mean, they probably came from a bit of a different philosophy than what me and Adam kind of come from. But I think together we could see that there was going to be positives to work, to work together and, um, and move forward. So um, like I said, still very early days for us, only in the second year. But um, no, I didn't really feel the pressure. I was more excited for a new adventure. Um, you always want to go over the hill in, in, any, um, in any meadows and see if the grass is greener. And that was a, a big reason for, for my move um, a bit over 18 months ago anyway. A couple of uh, podiums last year, Adelaide at the start of the year and then through Townsville and down to Bathurst, a third there for 2021. Kicked off with a couple of podiums this year, but still that elusive race win. Take us through the emotion and the feeling for yourself when you finally got that race three at uh, Tassie. Yeah, it was it was unreal. Like you said, plenty of podiums, but just always missing the mark a little bit. And um, Tassie obviously finally got herself in a, a great starting position on the front row. And um, yeah, kind of shocked ourselves a little bit to how how quick the car was. I mean, I mean, the, the series at the moment is rewarding rewarding the guy that's out front getting the clean air. Um, but yeah, the car was awesome at Tassie. Um, absolutely nailed it. So. Yeah, the emotion to finally, you know, get on that top step and then walk away from the podium literally felt like got 20 kilos lighter. And, um, and it was just good for the whole team because we can, we can believe in if we get it right, we get quick stops, we get good starting positions and we got a quick race car, then, then we can go and win races. And, um, you know, for us, that's a lot of confidence. And then we went to tail and bend and we struggled a little bit there and we know why we struggled a bit there now. Um, but yeah, like we, a bad weekend is for us at the moment is, you know, around that top five. If we don't come away with a trophy, then we feel like we've had a bad weekend, which is a, is a good thing to have. I mean, obviously, you're used to running at the front now, and that's a, a lot of belief in our team. Some uh, fantastic comments made from the owners of this team, uh, including Ryan Wilkinshaw and, and Zach Brown, about the, uh, the signing. You must be really happy to hear those guys and their thoughts on you. Yeah, they either being 100% truthful or 100% full of shit. So it's, uh, it's one of the two. <laughs> no, look, it's, um, it's, it's great. Obviously, it was a big part of me coming to the team. Um, you know, those three really worked hard to make the deal happen. And um, yeah, so for me to, to see some of the comments come through for those guys, and, and I'm in constant dialogue with them about trying to move forward all the time. And uh, they're really in touch with the team, you know, from all different parts of the world. It's quite amazing, you know, so... Um, it's a little bit hard for them when they can't obviously be on the ground and, and see the performance and obviously look at TV screens and um, computer monitors to work out where the results are. But they're, um, they're very much in touch with it with the uh, best they could be from, from far away. So, um, yeah, I'm very lucky to have not just one awesome owner. I have three of them. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Zach Brown's the sort of guy that you do want in your corner. Promised Daniel Ricciardo a drive of Dale, Hernard, Dale Earnhardt's NASCAR if he podium this year. 
He's promised Pato Award an F1 test if he wins an IndyCar race. Has Chas Mostert been promised anything if he... Well, one, did you, have you got anything for winning in Tassie? Or is there a promise if you win the championship? I think he's, a, he's avoiding me. Obviously, those guys go and put the pressure and then go into his office and then make these awesome deals where I'm stuck in, you know, little Australia over here and he hasn't quite been able to get over in a corner in an office and make a deal with. So, um, yeah, I feel a little bit left out. But I'm, uh, if I keep jumping up and down, he listens to one of these or two of these and uh, maybe we can make something happen. But, uh, yeah, I'm sh- sure, he's got to pay out sometime. He's got to, he's got to pay so. something for me as well, wouldn't he? So, we'll, we'll see what happens. You'd reckon, and if there was something that you'd want, what would that be? Well, that's a, that's a hard question. I'd have to see what he's offering first and then, you know, raise him a bit. It'd be a game like Game of Poker, whatever he's offering, and then try and double it. Uh, would an F1 test be okay? You'd be happy with that? Oh, I don't think so. I don't, I don't, <laughs> think, I ha- I don't think I have it in me. Maybe we'll start small, like a, an LMP test or something like that would be pretty cool. It's... Uh... A good point to talk about, though, your future. Obviously, supercars has been your life now for a fair bit of the, of, uh, the, the late 2000s, kicking it off with DJR back in 2013 right through until now. What do you see the future being for you, Chaz? You've got, obviously, this deal now with, with Wilkinshaw. Is there something that you'd like to do after supercars, or are you happy to stay in supercars for the rest of your life? I'm still a little bit on the fence, to be honest. I mean, for the short-term future, for the next couple of years, 100% still focused on supercars. I mean, I still want to try and put my best foot forward, try and achieve my goals here. And um, But yeah, I still don't know. Like, obviously, I really enjoyed doing the GT stuff and I, I really enjoyed racing in, in different tracks all around the world. Obviously, we're a little bit stuck with that at the moment with COVID. So, I mean, I can't really think long-term at the moment. All I can think about is short-term. But yeah, it's always interesting. I mean, I'm pretty lucky to have some some awesome owners that obviously dabble in other bits of motorsport as well and um yeah i'm not too sure i'd like to keep options open at the, at the time being anyway for sure you've had a run in tcr also uh this year and last year as well you enjoy that yeah this year tcr has been pretty pretty interesting i mean i haven't really done too much stuff in front wheel drive cars and uh in front wheel drive touring cars for, for for instance so it's uh i really was interested to jump at the series for this year and and just test myself out i mean it's always great when you you drive a race car that doesn't do what your last race car did. So, um, yeah, TCR car for me is a completely different driving style than I've driven any other car before. And um, I've really enjoyed the challenge of trying to adapt to that. So, obviously, the, the series is pretty cutthroat too. There's some super fast guys in there and, and some real young up-and-coming racers in there that are uh, super hard to beat on the weekend. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the fight in that championship so far this year as well. You head up to Darwin, third in the championship, a couple of hundred, I think 250-odd points behind the leader in Shane Van Gisberg. And this is probably the area now, from now through to the end of the year, that consistency is going to determine where you finish in the championship, whether it be a chance to, to win it in the last couple of races or whether you finish further down. From now on, this is where the, the real game, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think... Um... You know, you, you try not to think about that championship side of it. I mean, at the end of the day, winning races, um, as Shane's proved, is is the best championship points you can get and put your best foot forward. So you got to focus on each weekend. Um, you know, like our mentality going to Darwin, we're going to be super aggressive. It's now or never to to try and make it the fastest race car we can. And and um, and and same with myself. I mean, we just got to keep going and trying to go for race wins, put our best foot forward because. Uh, if you're a bit too conservative, then it just slips away from you anyway. So you may as well give it your all and 
um, be aggressive. And if you don't quite hit the mark, then at least you, at least you had a crack. So, um, yeah, we're just going to keep trying to focus on race wins. Just before we let you go on, Darwin, of course, it's the uh, debut of the brand new Super Super Soft attire. None of you guys have ever run on before. What are you expecting? How do you think it's going to go? Yeah, it's going to be really unique and and, um, and and not really not sure what to expect, to be completely honest. I mean, uh, from the, the reports coming back, obviously, there's a lot higher degradation in this tire. Um, if you hear a bit of mixed reports, if it's much faster or, or it's not, is one of the other ways. So we'll just have to wait and see. I think the guys that are going to win this weekend in Darwin is the guy, the guy that's got the best race car, the one that looks after its tires the best. So it's going to be pretty simple. So, um, yeah, we'll just have to wait and see. Darwin obviously gets warm as well. So it's, it's going to be its toughest place to debut a tire that's got probably some of the highest degradation that we've had in the category for a while. A final one for you, mate. And it's a bit of a serious one, I suppose. 29 years of age, you've always had that sort of jovial spirit around you and I hope you never lose it. But do you feel that you've matured as a person and a racer in the last couple of years? Uh, it goes a bit up and down, to be honest. Sometimes I shock myself and think I'm a bit actually a bit um, a bit wiser and stuff like that. And then some other times I go, wow, you're still trying to drive like you're a 21-year-old, Chaz. So it's uh, there's a, a bit on both sides there. I think um, it's kind of hard when you look back on your championship and and your career and stuff like that it all feels like just one big blur and it's just one big race after one another race and same when you finish the series at the end of the year and you start fresh in the next year it still feels like that same championship year since you ever started but i think the more races you put under your belt obviously and you, and you just learn to attack them differently but um i still would rather have 21 year old Chaz trying to go um balls to the wall and trying to extract every bit of speed out of the car so um I still have it in there somewhere. Sometimes it just takes a little bit more harder to find. Thanks for your time, mate. Really do appreciate it. Congratulations on the deal that you've signed and hopefully there's many, more, many, many more years to come in supercars for Chaz Mostert. Thanks very much, mate. Cheers. Chaz Mostert joining us here on The Grid. All right, Joel. I might try to start that again. I've got the Bill Lorries there. <laughs> All right. Joining us for a chat, uh, Richard Crail and Mark Walker from the racetalk.com. Hello, boys. Hello, racing enthusiasts. How are we? Yeah, I'd be, a lot, I'd be a lot better if I was allowed to go 25 kilometres away from my house to Darwin, or if Darwin was just within 25 kilometres of my house. Mm. Yes, unfortunately, it's 2,500. Well, probably even more, is it? From yeah, a lot more. Uh, at least on the bright side, our collective livers will be a lot better for this weekend not being in Darwin. Yes, it is. The, it is at the same time, rent. I'd like to apologise to the very numerous number of small businesses within Darwin and surrounds who will clearly go broke. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm talking about the Darwin Ski Club. Uh, monsoons, amongst others. Um, the maxi, maxi taxi driver. Especially, I'll mate. Old mate Maxi Taxi Driver, uh, who was yeah. very good from uh, from Northcliffe down to the ski club slash casino uh, on two occasions, um, was was endowed with our with our finances uh, remarkably. The second time, I don't I don't know why he accepted yeah. our ride again. You, you but, don't um, you know what I don't enjoy? I don't enjoy listening to radio programs or podcasts that have in jokes oh, and people no, don't understand no. it. So let's tell the people what actually happened. No. Yes, no, no. no, the no. statute of limitations hasn't ended right. yet. So we'll just, if people want to know, they, they can ask right in. 
race at the race talk.com. Um, let send us an email and we might, we might answer it. We might not though. It's got to do with maxi we'll taxi, we'll Bollywood probably, music, probably and an angry to Tony Shebeki. Yes. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was a life experience. It was, it was tremendous. Great was to see nice. uh, Dirk also post our anniversary of that, I think. Our colleague Dirk Lonsford. Yeah, it was th- as we record this, it was three years ago today. And wow. uh, still fresh in our memories. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, also fresh in the memories is the ink that's just been put on the paper of uh, Chas Mostert's contract with Wilkinshaw and Dreddy United. Just had a chat to him. He's a pretty happy man, and so he should be. Richard, you'll be interested to know that Zach Brown has offered him nothing for a win or a championship win. And he puts that down to the fact that because he's just tucked away down here in Australia, he's sort of been forgotten. So I think he needs to do some better negotiating. <laughs> yeah, he needs a, a better manager, I think, to go and do those deals. Um, and, and for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, uh, Zach Brown, who's a co-owner at, at Walkinshaw Andretti United, he's the United part. Um, at the start of the year, promised Daniel Ricciardo, because he doubles up as the boss of McLaren as well, that if Danny Rick got a podium this year, uh, Zach would throw him the keys to his... Uh, Dale Earnhardt, number three, Wrangler, Chevy Monte Carlo, NASCAR for a skid, which is Danny Rick's favorite driver of all time. That's why he runs the number three. So that was cool. And then he said to Pato O'Ward, the IndyCar star, if you want an IndyCar race this year, he'd put him in the McLaren at the young driver test at the end of the Formula One season. Uh, and one of those has already happened because Pato O'Ward won a race early this year and did it again on the weekend in superb style in Texas. Um, yeah, so clearly he's pretty good at motivating his drivers to get results. So I, I would expect there'd be something for Chaz. In, in all seriousness, though, it's a great deal for both Chaz and for supercars because he's really helped drive WAU Ford over the last 18 months. But there's so many possibilities there for Chaz. We know he's got aspirations at some point to go sports car racing. United Autosport are one of the better sports car teams around. Their LMP2 program's great. LMP3 strong. They're an IMSA in the States. Um, connected everywhere. So there, there will be some fringe benefits for Chaz along the way, I'm sure, so that when we can go back to international racing, uh, I'm sure he'll be involved in their programs somewhere. You'd be mad to not get him involved because yeah. he's bloody good in everything he drives. And it's good that those last couple of years haven't gone to waste. He's mm. building that team there around him. It's uh, the Chaz Racing Squad, and it's all systems go there. So it'll keep building with him, which is um, good. You know, that was I think that was a part of the problem when he was at Tickford is that he was one of the four drivers there. Mm. But now at Walkinshaw and Trinity United, he is the main lead driver. I mean, obviously, Bryce does a good job but uh, he's not quite of that A-grade superstar status at the moment that Chaz is, and, and Chaz is getting the results done. It's quite it's... interesting you say the last couple of years at Wilkinshaw, and Chaz mentioned this actually, that even his friends thought that this was his third year at the team. It's, not, it's only his second, last year being his first. It seems like he's been there a lot longer. Yeah, but last year felt like it went for 15 years. So (laughs) that's why. But in all seriousness, no, it's great because in motor racing, you often see, you know, quite naturally, the the best talent gravitates towards the best, most successful teams because traditionally they've got the biggest budgets. They've got the best resources, the best cars. They're the teams that attract the best talent, both behind the steering wheel and, um, and behind the scenes as well. So, and which is tremendous because you want the best of the best with the best that produces amazing stuff. But at the same time, you want superstar drivers in teams that perhaps aren't quite at that a triple plus level 
because that's what brings you broader competition. So having Chaz, who I think everybody acknowledges as one of the top three or four talents within the series on raw talent and ability and pace, having him in a team that's still on the rise is great news for the sport because if he can drag WAU up to the point where they're week in week out as competitive as T8 and DJR, then that's just super. And it's sort of what we're seeing Cam Waters do with Tickford at the moment as well, nibbled away at it for so long. And it, feels like they're really, really close now to week in, week out being those contenders. So that's great for the sport because we want more than two teams being competitive. It's been a story of two teams for five or six years. We want there to be three or four or five teams legitimately fighting it out every race within real contention. And it feels like we're closer to that now than we have been for some time, which is Mm. terrific stuff. It certainly is. Uh, Darwin, this week, guys, it's going to be uh, some interesting racing, especially with the brand new Super, super soft that we'll see debut in Darwin. As we said last week, uh, Tim Edwards saying they would have loved to have had some sort of soft launch with it, I suppose, at Winton, so they could understand the tyre heading into a, a track that's going to have some very high degradation. We know that from the past. And to throw a high-deg tyre on a high-deg track, it's going to be very interesting. Well, it's funny, Mark, wasn't it, last year, that the, the- Two Darwin rounds were, we came off the back of, of the relaunch at Sydney Motorsport Park, which was some of the wildest racing we've seen with the high deck that they had. Darwin was a bit meh, which I think is why they've gone to this, the uber duper super soft at, at this round, which is great. So yeah, it, it's going to play a big role. I love the fact they're going in clean with no prep on this tire. That's ideal. That That's what we saw at Sydney Motorsport Park 12 months ago when the series restarted after the COVID break. They all went in with no idea about yeah, true. the tyre life because they had such limited number of tyres and, and the soft tyre at, at Sydney Motorsport Park. And we got wild racing, really genuinely good racing, and everyone with the same same set of tyres to deal with. So it just adds a real wild card factor to this weekend. It's an opportunity, isn't it? You know, it just throws up a chance for anyone out there to go and pull a good set out, set out up. Uh, you know, to draw some good race strategy if they can conserve their tyres. Or if they have a barrier in race one, they can save some tyres up and have a big tilt at one of the later races and and really give it a shake. So that's good that it's an opportunity for those teams. The thing I like about this Darwin event this year is that it's a bit of a throwback in in that they're promoting it. They're doing some different things. Mm. So much of what we do in supercars is copy, paste, repeat at the next event. You know, if you go Simmons Plains to Barbagallo to Sydney Motorsport Park, it's the same event. It's the same thing that gets chucked up every weekend around in the calendar. This weekend, we've got the jumpy trucks up there. Uh, we've got the super bikes. We've got the drag racing on Friday night. We've got a Bernard Fanning concert. You know, they talk about it being a really big event up there, and it is. The town always sort of stops, and they have the parade of the trucks through town and all that sort of caper, and everyone gets involved. But they're doing something different which I really appreciate. You know, I think the last time we've seen this was with the Adelaide 500 when yeah. they bring out the jumpy trucks, when they bring out Ken Block, when they bring out uh, all, all sorts of different things. So, It's the difference between putting on a race meeting and putting on an event. And that's what's happened in Darwin. They put on an event. It, it's a, a go-to yeah. and having super bikes there is great. Um, on, they've run there on their own standalone for a couple of years and, uh, always drew pretty good crowds, apparently. So that's a great addition to it. The drag racing thing's enormous, Chebex, because um, it's the first time in the history of Australian drag racing 
that it will have been broadcast live on TV. Wow. On the Friday night. So it's an enormous moment for drag racing to grab. Um, a lot of this has been driven by Nathan Prendergast, who we've had on the show before. He's the boss of Supercar TV, produces the, the TV. But Nathan, so just, just on that, sorry, hmm. because I did watch Willowbank over the weekend. That was live on yeah, KO. Yeah, it streamed on KO, yeah. It, okay. It, it, it sort of, at, at this put it at this level, I suppose. Is probably so this is going on 7 or just on Fox? No, it's on Fox, on, okay. on, but prime yeah. time. It's an enormous moment for drag racing to, and especially the fact that it's running at a supercar round and it works in Darwin because there's a drag strip running inside the start finish track yes. and, and they run events up there called Nitro up North, which always attract massive crowds. So yeah, really, really cool things. Um, it's an exciting um, opportunity for drag racing and, and something that will keep fans at the track Friday night, something different. And it takes it back to the old uh, Winfield triple crown days, the triple challenge at uh, yeah. Eastern Creek where they'd run, run the drag racing, the bikes and, um, and the touring cars there as well. So um, yeah, really cool stuff. Absolutely love it. And you're right about it being a, a pretty spectacular event up in Darwin. The, the whole city just gets right behind it. They get massive crowds, the shops in the city just get right behind it with uh, their decorating of windows and all that sort of stuff. And it is a, a major event for Darwin. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, transporter parade through town on the Thursday night is massive. It is great. Yeah, it, it, it's it's the biggest event in the territory from a, from a sporting point of view. It's bigger than the football games they have up there and they have both league and AFL every now and then. So, no, it's, um, it's massive Shebex. I'm pretty gutted I can't go. But um, because of the way that, travel currently works in this country it was going to cost three thousand dollars to stay there to get up there and crazy uh the cheapest rental car i could find because rental car companies i've learned are completely and utterly inept uh was going to cost me 1200 bucks so unfortunately i'll be uh, on the couch all right so to wrap up darwin boys uh thoughts how's it going to go well i don't know how can you know i mean obviously djr uh, Shell V Power Racing are looking pretty good. Will Davison's due to get a good result. Anton's finally got some runs on the board there. But yeah, could it be Chaz? Could it be Triple Eight? I mean, it's been Scotty's paradise up there for the last few years, and Scotty's off doing other things overseas. So, you know, DJR know how to get it done, but uh, will they? That's a completely another matter. We've had a long time between drinks. We obviously missed Winton. Uh, Obviously, Shell and Red Bull have been off testing at QR. Whether that helps them at all, if they've learnt anything from that, uh, that, that could definitely show up in the mix. Well, the beauty of that is that it probably won't, the testing, because the soft tyre will just mm. negate anything they've learned at Queensland Raceway. And QR and Hidden Valley are so similar in layouts that they're not. The, the thing I like about um, Hidden Valley is that every now and then it throws up a real outlier result, a result you don't expect. So you go back to 2011, Rick Kelly jagged a win there for Kelly Racing. Um, that was while they were still Commodore-based, um, and that was before the Nissan era. Um, otherwise dominated by the artist that we now know as Tickford, but in ProDrive spec, Triple um, Eight, and lately DJR. But even 2016, Michael Caruso got one for Nissan. Um, the first race last year, Anton Di Pasquale, yes, helped by yeah. tire life and strategy, but Erebus Motorsport got a win. So there is a history at, at Hidden Valley of every now and then there being a bit of a strange outlier result, but them doing it on legitimate pace on performance and getting it right. So that, that for mine will be one to watch this weekend and, and whether there's a, 
whether this is a weekend where a team that's shown an enormous amount of potential, and I'm thinking off the top of my head, a Tim Slade, who has qualified really well and has yeah. had decent race pace and went well in Tassie, for example, whether this is a weekend where they convert or, um, yeah. Whether They're a team that is, deserve a break. Correct. Whether this is, you know, is this an opportunity for David Reynolds to get some form in the Penrite car for, for KR or for Kelly Grove? That, that would be the kind of result I'd be looking for this weekend. And I mean, he's got a couple wins on the board up there. He mm. likes the track. He's a confidence guy. He, you know, when you roll into a weekend with a good mindset, often that just pays out at the other end. And obviously that team is on the up. They had some success at the bend and it'll be interesting to see how they go as they continue their evolution. You mentioned Scotty McLaughlin before. Uh, geez, that was a brutal weekend for him in, De- in Detroit, wasn't it? Yeah, that was the rookie weekend he was going to have at some point, wasn't yeah. it? Uh, and Detroit is just the most goat tracky of straight circuits you could find. Um, yeah, really, really tough weekend for Scotty. But um, the good thing is that Roman Grosjean had a, a pretty average weekend as well. And he and Roman are battling for the Rookie of the Year honours overall, which is what Scotty really, as much as he's going to go, I want top tens, I want podiums. Um, he's battling a guy with 400 Formula One starts for Rookie of the Year. And that's the, the target I think he probably should have. So um, yeah, it was tough, but he, going to Road America this week. And uh, if you heard our chat with Lee Diffie, on the show a couple of weeks ago, we both sort of thought that that event would be one where Scott absolutely shines because that's the kind of track where I I reckon it will really suit Scott. He'll be able to hang it all out. There's room for error there. High speed, ballsy track. It's got Bathurst written all over it, doesn't it? And we know that Scotty went really well there. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing how he goes at at the first proper high speed road course of this year's IndyCar series. And he does have a test there on the board, so he knows which yep. way the track goes, which is going to help, obviously, coming into Detroit. No testing there. But the one from the weekend, Felix Rosenquist. Mm. What a shunt. That yeah. was horrendous. There's hung throttle going into a, a hard 90-degree right-hander, and he's literally bowled over the walls. And those walls, they're, a they're, they're stuck together. They've got metal rods through them. Mm that stick them together and he's just bowled it straight over, which is incredible. The forces at play there. Yeah. And, and super impressive that he only had the one night in hospital, no injury, yeah. just battered and bruised. It shows you how strong those cars are. I mean, they're designed to crash at 230 miles an hour at Indy. So yeah, huge stuff. Um, you got a feel for willpower, don't you? Oh. Just, uh, unbelievable. And I'm sure Given that his team boss owns the series now, I'm sure there'll be a rule tweak to IndyCar's red flag procedures that allow teams to throw some cooling on the cars a little bit quicker because uh, a cooked DCU cooked his race, which was such a shame because um, he did such a good job. The The Sunday race, Monday morning our time, though, was an absolute belter. And um, we talked about Pato Award early on in IndyCar's youth movement. Man, he went from six with 12 laps to go to win it, and it was yeah. legitimate overtaking pace on restarts which was really impressive drive um he's a bit of a superstar that kid and an indycar now with seven different winners from their first eight races and a point in it at the top of the championship going into one of the best races of the year it's going to be um yeah really cool 60 seconds boys to reflect on what has been uh, some fantastic awards handed out to some uh Prominent racing figures in the Queen's birthday honours list. Yeah, this is outstanding, Shebex. And motor racing often gets a bit of a bum steer with this, and it does in the UK as well. I know with plenty of racing drivers that should have been knighted but haven't. But um, well done to, in particular, John Bow and, and Larry Perkins for getting an AM 
a member of the Order of Australia commendation for their services to motor racing over the years. JB is a champion race car driver. Larry Perkins is a driver and team owner. Uh, and it's worth pointing out as well that Tony Cochran was recognised for his yes. services to the events industry, which goes beyond supercars. But he was fundamental to building supercars up to a point where it, where it is today. And um, a big part of, I think, his recognition in that has been his role in, in Australian motor racing. So, yeah, really, really well-deserved. But for JB and LP, um, great blokes, great legends of our sport who continue to be great ambassadors for it now moving forward. Can't wait till on the grid gets uh, one for its services to podcasting. Maybe 10 years down the track or something. 10, you reckon? I think it might be a bit longer than that. But, yeah, uh, we'll keep yeah, going. Yeah, I'm not convinced. <laughs> I mean, I'll back ourselves every but day. They, yeah, Let's we can't win a supercar media award, let alone an order of Australia. Mate, let's let's face it, the, the Queen of England is a listener, so I mean she tuned in to Look, we're, big, we're big in Buckingham Palace. I, yeah. I know that for a fact. For sure. Yeah. Mm. Uh gentlemen, we'll do it again next week. Enjoy your weekend in front of the telly watching Darwin. Yes. Uh don't forget power rankings this weekend. Get your hot, not and what nominations in on our social media accounts. I am convinced. Mark, that there will be lots of what from this weekend, I reckon. Yeah. I'm going to have to get my meming arm warmed up. Yeah. Yeah. Roll <laughs> All right, guys. Catch you next week. <laughs> See you, boys. And we'll catch you next week, too, right here on The Grid. Australian time. The 105th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race was run and won. And it was an absolute thriller. Elio Castroneves winning his fourth Indy 500, joining a list of just three other drivers to achieve that remarkable feat. But perhaps even more remarkable is that for the third year in a row, it was an Aussie behind the microphone to call one of the biggest races in the world. His name is Lee Diffie, and his call of that classic finish was absolutely perfect. Well, and he joins us now on the line. He's got home after a massive weekend at Indianapolis. Lee Diffie, mate, congratulations on an amazing call of an amazing 105th Indy 500. Richard, thanks. Uh, I think it's... um. I think it's something I'll never forget. It was just one of those days where it all came together. Um, perfect weather, uh, perfect temperature for the race that really enhanced uh, closer racing. Um, the crowd, which was to me the most important element, being back at the Speedway, you know, last year was one of the most, actually not one of, it was the most bizarre thing that I've ever been involved in. It was just eerie. It didn't feel real, didn't feel right. And then, uh, and then for it all to come together uh, this past Sunday, felt felt really good, felt normal. Um, it, you you don't realise how much juice the crowd gives the event and gives us, even though we're locked in a broadcast booth. Um, it, it's the it's the secret ingredient, and it was the missing ingredient last year. So everything all coming together, and then a brilliant race and a brilliant winner, uh, a fitting winner. It couldn't have been better. The crowd really helped tell the story, I think, of the day and the key moments of how it unfolded. I don't think anyone will forget that moment. Connor Daly hit the lead for the first time and the place erupted. It was extraordinary. And, and it was clear as day through the broadcast as well. It certainly was. And, and that, and for Connor, you know, being, being an indie kid and um, you know, his dad, Derek racing there, I think I mentioned on the broadcast that Connor did something that Derek never did. And that was lead a lap, yeah. let alone lead the most laps, you know, lead 40. And um you know, he's pretty bummed about the way that it panned out in the end. But, you know, I said to him, hey, listen, people don't forget guys who lead 40 laps, lead the most laps in an Indy 500. So it'll, it'll come your way one day. But, yeah, that was a magical moment. And then it all just built and built, didn't it, until that 
finish, did, did you get the feeling that Castro Nevers was in for something special? I mean, he was a contender all day. The car was clearly very good, but it felt like his experience in those last 20 laps, that shootout with Polo uh, and Pato Award, all of his 21 indie starts, it all sort of built towards that moment of him pulling that move with two to go. I mean, I think you have to say that that the way that Polo and Award drove was was fantastic. I mean, you just know those guys are going to be around for a long time. But, you know, I... Elio has been so brilliant for so long. Um, but if there's one place that is made for him, it's, it's the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I remember the very first time that I did a broadcast from there was 2013. Got to work with Gilles de Ferran, Elio's great friend and, and an Indy 500 winner himself. And he just said, there's something about Elio and this place. There's something about the way that Elio drives this place. That is, you know, it might be a bit of a stretch to say unique, but there's just something about the two entities that go together. And so in those closing laps, um, I don't know, I can't, I, I'd be lying if, 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 or any, any of us said that we knew that he was going to do it, but you kind of had that feeling. From a broadcaster <laughs> point of view, what's it like to work at that place and then have the opportunity to call the finish of, of a major moment in that place's history. Cause it's not every day you add a four time winner to the winners list there in 105 races. Just, can you explain what that's like as a, as a broadcaster from the booth at the, the top of the pagoda there? Pretty special. <laughs> yeah. Pretty special for, a, for a kid from the Brisbane suburbs. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Um, yeah. I'm still, uh, I think, uh, you know, two days later, it's still soaking in, um, but boy, it felt good. Um, you know, and, and um, not just me, but for for the two guys I share the booth with, Paul Tracy and Townsend Bell. I mean, we all, I don't know. I, I, I think we knew even before it happened that we were part of something special. And again, I come back to the crowd. You know, it was just such an amazing day. It was just, it, it just felt right. You know, for all the, for everything that everybody has been through during COVID, not just here in the US, but in Australia and Europe and in, in Asia, every, like everywhere. It was just, for me, it was, the, it was the first time that something felt normal again. And uh, for it to be the race that played out. You know, we commentate, Richard, from the ninth floor of the Pagoda, yeah. which is a pretty special vantage point anyway. We can see, you know, if we look to our right, we can see them about halfway through the short shoot from three to four. And then we can see them through four all, all the way up the front straight and into one. Not that we commentate, you know, looking out the windows. We, we use that. Uh, as a visual tool if we need to. We need to commentate mm. on what everybody's watching at home, as you know, as a broadcaster. But um, it, it, was, it was amazing. Um, it's, probably, it's probably one of, if not the most, you know, special, special broadcast of my career, um, just because of the story, right? And the mm. way that it unfolded. And at the end, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end, not saying anything. Yeah. You know, after, you know, with Elio's victory walk and, and the fence climb, not saying anything, you know, what, what we didn't say meant more than what we said, you know, it was listening and going along for the journey with him. So all of those elements just came together on that day. Yeah. That, that finish was amazing. The, the celebration of Castroneves and the way you guys let it breathe. It, it felt very uh, un-American TV, if you know what I mean, just, just completely raw and unfiltered. Um, not overly produced, just this amazing live moment, but it perfectly summed up the whole race for mine. And, and 
you could have turned off here and gone to bed at five o'clock in the morning, but I found it utterly (laughs) captivating and just kept watching the whole way through. It was extraordinary. I think only Elio could pull that off. You know, if it was somebody else, it was somebody else. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have had the same pizzazz or the, or the same, um, do you know, I'll tell you something. I haven't seen it come out yet in, in public or on social media, but on Sunday night, we had an NBC all group get together. Our bosses, you know, corralled us and um, we had pizza and some drinks and, uh, and it was just a great kind of um, debrief and just kind of everybody, uh, a, a group uh, sigh, <laughs> you know, yeah, like kind of, yeah. you know, get, get off the gas, so to speak. And one of my colleagues said, look at this. I just got sent this from, a, from a, uh, an NBC affiliate. Um, a staff member, like somebody in the NBC family, was in the crowd right in front of Elio as oh, he climbed the fence. Gosh. And so that video is going to come out eventually, but it was from this guy's perspective, looking at Elio from, from in the crowd, climbing the fence, and it was wow. right in front of him. And it was crazy. It was just like the way that the, the fans reacted and... and um, you know, usually at the 500, as soon as it's over, the place is like, yep. you know, it, it just, uh, it empties very quickly. And the police, the local police do a great job at, at funneling everybody out of there. And I hadn't seen, um, you know, I first went to, to Indy in 2001, I think 2001 or 2002, one of the early years, Neil Crompton and I were there together for Channel 10. And um, anyway, so just call it 20 years ago. And, you know, I've never seen that many people stick around afterwards. You know, everyone wanted to be part of the Elio party and the mm. Elio celebration. There was a video, I think Chris Medlin, I think from Racer Magazine, who, who managed to get in just before the race from the UK, posted uh, watching from Pit Road of the crowd chanting Elio's name. And it sounded like a European soccer game or something <laughs> remarkable like that. That's just, just unbelievable. Um, I'm not sure that race has ever been viewed by more people in Australia or New Zealand um, at one time, everyone getting up at two in the morning to watch because of the, not just the Scott Dixon factor and the willpower factor, but the Scott McLaughlin factor um, as someone who's done a similar thing and, and gone overseas and, and applied his own trade in the States, especially um, what's your read on Scott and how he's not just settled into IndyCar, but how his first Indy 500 went. Cause from our end, it was, Really, really impressive. One little blip on the radar, I don't think, takes away from that overall weekend performance. No, he, he's he's doing remarkably well. Like he's he's actually incredible. Mm. Um, without that hiccup on on pit road, he would have been in the top ten, if not the top five, in my opinion. I mean, he had the pace. You know, what did he come, where, where did he go? He came from seventeenth to eighth, I think. Yep. It was as high as he got, seventh or eighth. Um, and he was there. He was sitting with them. They were everyone was playing the fuel strategy game, but. You know, for him to go there for the first time, be the best qualifying team Penske car, and and then you know at one point be the highest running team Penske car is yeah. extraordinary. So, you know, he's just um, the the one word that keeps coming back whenever you talk to Rick Mears or Tim Sindrick or or anybody. Um, Jonathan Dugood, his engineer, is methodical. You know, and the other thing I think that's important for everybody to remember, he's done a bunch of testing. He's done Barber Motorsports Park which he calls the most intense track that he's ever been to. He said, you've got to show more commitment there than Bathurst, yeah. which is crazy. I've never heard anybody describe it like that. Then he goes to the streets of St. Petersburg, which is just a crazy house. Then you go to Texas Motor Speedway, which is one of the most uh, treacherous speedways as far as, you know, you put, a, you know, especially now with that, that uh, PJ1 grip 
stuff they have on the track, which doesn't suit IndyCars, by the way. You put a wheel wrong there, you're in the fence at, at over 200 miles an hour. And then you go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and he, he's made one mistake. And unfortunately, that was coming into pits on, 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 at Indy. So, you know, to do all of that, all of that, that variation, all of those different challenges, and he's made one error, to me, that just shows that, uh, in, in my opinion, you're looking at a future IndyCar champion and a future Indy 500 winner. I've got Road America circled in my own little personal calendar of when I think podium perhaps if not even better because that just strikes me as the kind of track that it all gel will be long enough into the season where it all click um and that circuit it's everything that Scott McLaughlin loves in a racetrack and where he's performed so well in supercars just you know massive high speed commitment stuff that he showed on the weekend that he's amazing at that that I I think by that point of the season he'll be a a legitimate contender if, if Penske's um cars roll out well which they should do a strange anonymous weekend for them in a way and who would have thought you'd ever see willpower in bump day for the indy 500 but um quite remarkable stuff um what about you mate uh, how's your your take on indycar at the moment it's phenomenally competitive series to be involved with isn't it yeah and and you know i i i um i preface these comments with no disrespect to any other series in the world but i think it's i think it's the best mm. I think it's the best um, because we go to the racetrack each and every week, not know, legitimately not knowing who's going to win, which is a really nice thing, isn't it? Because most series you could kind of point to two or three or four people who you know are almost assured of winning. That's not the case in IndyCar. Um, hence, hence what's happened this year, you know, six races, six different winners. Um, that's not a record that's a, been done before, but a it's pretty hasn't won yet. <laughs> and a Penske has not won. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, I don't know off the top of my tired head if that's a record or not, but uh, I'll, I'll look into that. I'll get our stats guy yeah. to look at that. But yeah, I think IndyCar, you know, I had this chat with Chip Ganassi in, in Texas in the hotel lobby a few weeks ago. And I said, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, asking, you know, what about IndyCar right now? And, you know, in your opinion, what's the golden era? Is it back to the cart days and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I don't, I, I don't care to look in the rearview mirror. He said, if you want to know what the golden days are of IndyCar, they're now. And I think that's a pretty, pretty good point. Um, you look at the health of the series with sponsors. You look at the health of the series with the teams. And there's no, there's no Richard, there's no junk teams. Mm. There's no crappy teams. Like they're, it's quality, you know. And one of the smaller and one of the newest teams just won the Indianapolis Motor Speed, Indianapolis 500. Yeah. You know, in Maya Shank Racing, so yeah. up and down the grid, it's 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 phenomenal. Um, you know, probably probably the smallest team, I guess, uh, or one of the smaller teams is, is Dale Coin Racing. You know, they they put they put um, uh, Pietro Fittipaldi as the highest qualifying rookie, and not too far out of the fast nine in mm. qualifying for the Indy Five Hundred. So there's there's strength all the way from the the Penskys, the Ganassis, the Andretti cars, and now you got to You look at Arrow McLaren SP. Um, you know, the, the excitement and the, the commitment from McLaren racing as, as an entity, you know, they have a section of the McLaren technology center in the UK carved out and sectioned off for IndyCar. And, and they have people working at the McLaren technology center, you know, specifically on the IndyCar package. Um, Zach Brown is over here as often as he can be, you know, to fit in as many IndyCar races with his, with his formula one and sports car involvement. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's, you know, we could talk all day about it, but in my opinion, I think it's, it's incredible. And I think it's, 
if you're trying to introduce somebody to a new series who doesn't really know much about motor racing, they're going to get a lot of entertainment from watching in, in, in IndyCar racing. Just, just to pick up on one of your points there, one of your early gigs when you went to the States with Speed TV was calling Grand Am as it was. And yeah, yeah. That, that's where Michael Shank's team really came to the fore and, and he invested heavily in that. And that, that's what helped build Michael Shank racing as it was um, into the entity it is now. So it, it must've been a, a cool thing to see that team grab a victory against the heavyweights of IndyCar racing. Oh, it was terrific. And to see Mike and his wife um, uh, in, in the, in the convertible with Elio and his, lifetime partner and his daughter you know just you know i think mike may have waved more than elio (laughs) (laughs) he was he was just pumped because um uh, he and his wife mary beth they don't have children their children is the race team and uh they put everything they've sacrificed everything and um i can remember those grand am days mate where he was walking the tightrope of being open or closed and um he's just the gutsiest most determined guy and um, yeah, he's a former racer himself. Um, I, I think he got to Indy Lights as a driver, um, but brought people up like uh, Sam Hornish Jr., you know, obviously and eventually uh, an IndyCar champ and, and um, Indy 500 winner. And, you know, he's, he's AJ Armendinger. Um, there's been so many people that he's given a start and, and given a helping hand. And then um, to see him call, it actually just dawned on me that I called his Rolex 24 win and his Indy 500 win. Yes. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Um, and you've got a big adventure coming up soon because you're off to do the Olympics for NBC and there aren't really any bigger jobs in sports broadcasting than that, are they? I'm pretty excited. Yeah. Might, a bit, might even be a little bit nervous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It, it'll be my fourth games. Um, uh, I, did, I did Sochi in Russia and then I did Rio. I did, uh, in, the, in the winter games, I did a sliding sport. So it's fast, then it's racing, which obviously fits uh, with, with everything else that I do. Um, so I did bobsled, skeleton and luge at the Winter Games. So that was in Sochi and then in Pyeongchang and then in Rio, I did something I've never done, which was rowing. Wow. Um, rowing in the flat water sports. So it didn't go quite as fast as I'd like. <laughs> but So to do track and field now, it's going to be really, really, it's going to be fun. It's going to be, um, I think, you know, just trying to tie in the Indy 500 and, and the games coming up in Tokyo to have the experience that I had last year at, at, uh, at Indy with no fans. Mm. I think that's going to kind of prepare me a little bit for Tokyo. I don't know what Tokyo is going to look like um, in regards to people in the stadium. I did the track and field world championships in Doha in Qatar at the end of 2019. And there was out of the 10 nights we were on air, there was only really about two nights where there was a decent crowd because there were Qatari athletes competing. The rest of it, there was a pretty lean crowd. So it wasn't enjoyable, but I'm kind of thinking about a big picture. I'm thankful that I had those experiences to prepare me for Tokyo, um, you know, for, for low numbers and, and not a, not a great atmosphere, but you know, we won't let that take away from what's happening on the track. Do you go to Japan for that or do you call remotely from the States? No, I'll be there. I'll be in Tokyo, um, staying right across the road from the stadium. So I think it's going to be a case of um, hotel room, Commentary booth, hotel room, yes. commentary booth. <laughs> yeah. There won't there won't be much outside of that. Do you do you go back and draw on any any previous Olympic commentary mm. that you look at? I mean, my one of my broadcasting legends is Bruce McAvaney, and and he's famous for his calls of the one hundred and two hundred over many many Olympics for seven over here. Do, do you go back and look at that stuff, or do you just go into it with an open mind and and put the lead if you spin on it? 
Yeah, definitely go into it with an open mind and, 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 you know, call with my own style, but then you also, you've, you can't ignore history, right? Mm-hmm. You have to go back and, and um, part of our preparation as is yours for, for what you do. We watch a lot of tape, as they say, you know, you watch a lot of, you watch a lot of clips and races and kind of, kind of take it all in. Um, um, it's a good question. I don't, I don't, I don't watch tape to try and reproduce what somebody else has done. I think that would be a mistake. You know, you've got to, mm-hmm. you've got to be yourself. Um, but I think you also have to be a student of history. Um, I thought, I hope, I, d- I don't know what channel seven's plans are, but I hope to get a picture with Bruce in Tokyo. That'd be pretty cool. You know, one Aussie there calling it for the Australian audience and another yeah. Aussie there calling it for the U- U S audience. And, um, you know, my commentary partner in, in track and field is Atto Bolden, the, um, oh, yeah. From Trinidad and Tobago, and the the um, the, the sprinting star, and um, he a lot of a lot of Atto's greatest races were called by Bruce for, really? for the Australian audience. Yeah, and Atto loves Bruce, um, so it'd be terrific for the three of us to get a picture together in in Tokyo if we could, and and uh, we'll we'll see how that works. Yeah, um, I mean Atto's still the 100 meter Commonwealth Games record holder, wow. 20 plus years on. So. And Bruce, for sure, called that race. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how the worlds collide. That's amazing. Uh, last one, mate. Um, do you stay in touch with what's going on back here? I know you and Greg Russ speak regularly, but uh, amongst others, I'm sure. But um, do you keep up with supercars and, and everything going over here in, in your old stomping ground? I, I, would, I would say loosely, um, you know, and I kind of mainly do that through, through social media and, and just calls with friends. And, you know, I chat with Dick Johnson and, Gary Rogers quite often um, and, and then, you know, other journalistic friends and just people who kind of help, help me stay in touch. But it's, it's, uh, it's a very, it's a big challenge. You know, I'd love to stay in touch better with AFL and NRL. And I just, it's kind of for every, everything is kind of very surface level, just, just to barely stay in touch. I know that my Brisbane Broncos are, doing better than last year, but not as, like, as well as I'd like. I know that my Carlton Blues are doing better than in years past, but not as good as I would like. <laughs> uh, I, um, I'm very excited about a really dear friend's son uh, by the name of Brock Feeney. Yes. Um, you know, Paul, Paul Feeney has been a friend of mine for forever and ever and ever. And Feen uh, had a hand in my career in the early days, along with Paul Morris. Um, Paul and Terry Morris had a huge hand in my career. Uh, and so I love seeing what Brock's doing and, and his, his climb to the top. Um, he's got that competitive gene in him, you know, from, from his dad. So um, I'm, I'm excited to watch how far he can go. So, yeah, I, I stay in touch as, as loosely as I can. And thank goodness for social media. Otherwise, I'd be, I'd be lost with what's going on down there. But um, I'm excited to see the the health of both series, like how V8 supercars is doing or supercars, I should say is doing. And, um, and also the, um, the uh, TCR, uh, what is it? What's the, what's the name of the series? The, oh, the Australian racing group, ARG. Australian, Australian racing group. group. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So good, good to see that. That's, that's really good. I get to commentate on some T- TCR cars here every now and then in the, yep. um, as part of the IMSA WeatherTech series, uh, it's called Michelin pilot challenge and TCR yeah. is one of two classes in that. So, I've got some friends who race in it. It's cool. It's a really good racing, very competitive, um, you know, reasonably affordable. And, and so I quite, quite enjoy that. 
Mate, thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Now you're in full recovery mode after a, a massive <laughs> week, month of May at the Speedway. Congrats again. Uh, we There was a group chat of a whole array of Aussie media types and broadcasters especially, and all of us were going, we can't believe that an Aussie gets to call the Indy 500. So we're all just unbelievably pleased that you get to do it and you did an outstanding job. So congratulations and thanks for joining us on The Grid. Thanks, mate. And I haven't lost my Australian accent after all these years. No, noted. <laughs> Duly noted. Very impressive. <laughs> Somebody once told me I'm t- I must be tone deaf. And uh, I sure know that I can't sing. So let's hope the accent stays forever. Oh, that's a good thing. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate your time. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.